0: Everybody, I'm Sean Reynolds from SportsNet About to be joined by Ken Weep from SportsNet. Together we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show after. Well, it's been a while since we've seen a Jets outright loss. So I mean it feels, feels like this is the first time that's happened in a long time. And I guess it is. Uh, I, I don't know if I take a look at this game and I think the Jets necessarily had their best, or maybe even the Calgary Flames had their best. I think the Calgary Flames were clearly the more desperate. Uh, of the two teams Uh, I think the shot volume kind of reflected that the one thing I walk away from with this game is you know in a game where I didn't think the Jets had their best I still think this is an example of of the Rick bonus system at work here and I've said this um, in the past uh, you know the system's designed on a night where you know when your top guys aren't going aren't firing you know this system keeps you in the game and gives you a shot of winning this game. The system's designed so that on a night when your goaltender maybe isn't at the top of their game, which I don't think Connor Halibut was on this night, you still have a chance at that game. And I think that's what we saw. I mean, if you were a Jets fan, you were watching this game and you were glued to the TV right until the the horn went at the end there because the Jets were in it right until the very end. I, I had thought maybe, you know, we'd had these conversations in this show in the last couple of shows about the effect of, you know, that Paul Maurice era and the kind of weapons that maybe the jets would have um, nowadays uh, but add that to the rick bonus defensive kind of system and you know i thought maybe we were going to see that i thought the jets were going to pull one out tie that game up and send it to overtime didn't quite happen um, but i mean i don't you know the jets i think We've been asking for them to get to their game and on top of their game. We made calls for that when they went on that road trip, which, you know, I was very vocal about saying I didn't think that they would played very well. And uh, the team itself didn't think it played very well. It got to that homestand and then we saw from them uh, more and more what they're supposed to look like against Montreal and built on that with a bigger victory against Chicago and then with an absolutely huge victory. Uh, you can't be up all the time. I think this is one of the games where the Jets weren't up. But this to me is one of the examples we've seen so far this season of the Jets losing a game in which I still think that they stuck to the system, right? You're not going to win every single night, but what I liked about it was the Jets kind of stuck with the system stuck, like stayed with playing Rick bonus's style of hockey uh, and, Even though it didn't pay off, they didn't kind of come apart at the seams when they were challenged and looked like they were going to lose and kind of abandon the system and try and dive back into what we've seen from them in the past. And I think that's something to build on, personally. Uh, We'll check with Kenny, see if he agrees with me, see if that's something he, uh, he can get behind. You know what we do when we're bringing Kenny into the show. We play the best music in the gosh darn business. Here comes our guy, Kenny. So, Ken, right off the bat, I can tell you a lot of people in the chat room not agreeing with how I feel about this. Jeep guy says, yikes, last year's uh, Jets showed up in a big way tonight. That looked nothing like a Bones coach team. I I don't agree with that at all. This idea of puck management being non-existent. NBHA hockey says that was ugly hockey. I mean, part of that, I I mean, if you want to look at it as ugly hockey, I think you could. What I saw was two teams... Uh, and we know that the Jets under Rick Bonus are are trying to be a team that challenges more in the neutral zone. I think we saw that from both teams here tonight. N- neither team was giving an inch. That's why there was just those constant like kind of turnovers and schmozzles in the neutral zone. Like this was a battle of attrition between two teams. One that needed to make it a battle of attrition because Calgary needed to turn things out, and another one that needs to do it because that's what their coach is demanding of them. Yeah, it's not the prettiest hockey, but I think we knew when Rick Bonus was coming here that the, the days of pretty hockey with the Winnipeg Jets were kind of going out the window. Is that what we saw here tonight?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you touched on it, obviously. Desperation from the Flames, uh, you know, obviously seven-game losing skid, but I think five of those games they lost by a goal, and another one on Thursday was a one-goal game before the empty netter. Uh, I do think the Jets were a little bit uh, off in terms of their structure. Uh, but I also agree with you, Sean, in that they didn't really stray from the structure. I just think that there were a couple of uh, errors that kind of ended up in the back of their net. Uh, I would say the Calgary was just a little bit more desperate and hungry. Uh, I would say I agree with you that the Jets did not have their best game, but they found a way to stick with it. And the fact that they were able to stay... Like, it was a one-shot hockey game. I mean, if the Jets do anything on their 5-on-3 or with the man advantage other than give up the game-winning goal... Uh, you know they're still in that hockey game. It's a one-shot game. So uh, I don't think they played... I think they had... I, I would say this. I mean, uh, we haven't said it very often. They had a few too many passengers tonight, Sean. I mean, that, that's how I would describe it. I think that... And it wasn't that the... I, I don't think it was that these players weren't trying. I just don't think they had a whole lot in the legs or, you know, some nights you just don't have your best. Uh, I think the Jets had a few too many of those players. Uh, In the game, and I think their power play, quite frankly, let them down on a night where they weren't at their best. Those are the nights, Sean. We've talked about it before. Those nights, the power play needs to pick up the team when it's not going at five on five. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois thought the Jets are trying to be a little bit too pretty in terms of uh, looking for the perfect play. I think their shot selection at times was not great, Uh, and overall. You know we're gonna we're gonna dig deep into this, Sean. But I mean, quite frankly, I, I don't necessarily like how the Jets played a couple of their odd man rushes uh, in terms of how they defended. We'll dig into that after the lamp and things uh, of that nature. But I agree with you. I think on a day that uh, if you're a Jets fan, you look back and say, you know, that wasn't anywhere near the best that the Jets have played. And the problem that Jets fans are having, Sean, tonight, the ones that are saying that it's horrendous, well. The Jets just played their best game of the year against the Dallas Stars. And today, the Flames kind of, I would say, imposed their will on the Jets at times. And they were just, quite frankly, the better team. And they got a couple of bounces. And uh, early kind of two-pad stack ridiculousness on Mark Shifley by Jacob Markstrom kind of allowed the Flames to get their feet underneath them. And the Jets just didn't really—I I can't say they didn't recover— because they got it to be a tie game. I just didn't think that they they weren't sharp. Let's just uh let's just say that.
0: Yeah. Um you know, it's it's interesting here because bullish uh, Bradley is saying 55 huge error and that he was lazy. So, uh, uh, okay, go for it? No, you go and I'm then I'll it. go. No, no, you I, I'd like you to hop on it. Go for it first, okay?
1: Yeah, just one quick thing for bullish Bradley. I mean, here's the thing. The Jets it's a very simple play, but when you overcommit, uh so the center ice faceoff, flames win it, they go back, and it goes D to D. Hannafin to Rasmus Anderson. Um uh, the Jets are trying to be aggressive, so Brennan Dillon steps up on the right winger. Mark Shifley is actually in perfect position in the neutral zone, except the puck kind of got onto Lindholm's stick and he kind of I wouldn't say that he necessarily shimmies away, but he kind of the puck kind of chips to the outside And Schreifler gets caught kind of... Lindholm gets inside position on him and then just kind of pulls away from him, right? I mean, I I don't think that he actually played... He was actually in the proper position in the neutral zone. He just got beat by uh, Lindholm. And then there too, I mean, like we were just talking about. I mean, he's standing still, but where do you want him to be? I mean, um, his man was Lindholm, but he got caught a little bit flat-footed. And what happened was... Dylan DeMello then also gets caught in no man's land. Uh, He does not take away the pass across, nor does he take away the shooter. Uh, Sean, I I want you to dig in because you play a little bit of defense. Uh, So to me, Dylan DeMello has to leave the shot for Connor Hellebuck to take. He needs to do everything in his power to inhibit the pass across from Lindholm to Rizicka. And I, I, he tried to do it, but then he kind of got spun onto the inside. And I don't, I, I don't think that some Jets fans are giving Lindholm enough credit for the pass that he makes. He basically waits till the perfect time till Demello overcommits, opens his legs for a split second. And at that split second, he rips it across, it's through. And I would even say this, I think Connor Hellebuck played it really well, but Razichka actually kind of he, he His shot is a change-up. He one-times yeah. it perfectly, but it's not a crisp shot that was it was what Connor Hellbuck was expecting. And it kind of just... I wouldn't say that it fooled him, but it definitely was not what he was expecting. So yeah, I mean, I guess it does fool him because it was kind of like a bit of a change-up. So that's sort of what happened. I, I don't think it was a lazy play at all by Shifley. I just think he got beat by a guy who was going full speed and he kind of got caught flat-footed. And then I don't like the way that DeMello played it at all. Uh, um, I mean, again, the other thing too, you could slide, but I mean, Morrissey slid on the shorthanded odd man rush and it, the puck got through also. So I don't think there's a perfect formula. I just don't particularly think that DeMello played it overly well. And no, I mean, Mark Shifley can't get beaten by Lindholm in terms of the acceleration, but I don't think it was a lazy play. I also maybe think that like Shifley had exited the zone I'm not sure that Scheifele didn't think that Brendan Dillon was actually there as the second defenseman safety valve. But again, I, I don't know that for sure. But I think there's a lot of blame to be assessed on that play. And like I said, at the end of the day, Hellebuck does a good job of pushing across. If that shot is a is a one-timer that's hit hard, I think Hellebuck actually makes the save. The puck kind of just trickled. And I'm not taking anything away from Razichka. He made a great play to get the one-timer. I just don't think he was... I think it was an accident that he that he had the change-up kind of a shot instead of actually ripping it on the offside one-timer.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's a bit of a change-up, but it's in the perfect spot, right? Perfect, I, I yes. Don't, I don't think that whether he hits that hard or he doesn't hit it hard, where he put it, Connor Halbock just couldn't get to that to that point. I, I, I do understand what people are saying about the Shifley situation because when I see Shifley at the end there, I mean, that's one play where I want to see a guy – flying back as fast as he can diving stretching out putting his stick in trying to break it up if you don't get there you don't get there but there seemed to be effort left on the table in that in that situation. So I can understand it because Mark Schleifley, he's there in the neutral zone. The puck breaks away. So he gets beat to the net. That's one thing. Uh, but but the fact that there just didn't seem to be that over-the-top effort that we kind of seem to be seeing from players all over the ice under this Rick bonus system. Like listen, if if that's actually Janssen Fialbi. Is he not laying out the way that we saw him play there tonight? We'll have to get into talking about him, but he was absolutely phenomenal uh, tonight um, and, and a real eye opener. I know there's a lot of people who have been texting me about how much they like his game. We'll get into that. But so I, I understand the part about Shifley in that situation there. The, the DeMello thing, I I mean, this is just a guy who falls victim to an absolutely phenomenal hockey iq play there like basically what happens there is i know what you're saying ken you you take the pass and then you let the goalie take the shot and in that situation he's got he's got the pass covered off and the player looks like he's trying to pass it and there's nothing there and demello has got it sealed off and it's great so then he turns to look towards the goalie to shoot And in order to stay with the play, DeMello turns and opens up the legs. And at that moment, the pass goes through. He just really got baited and fell for the bait, right? This is one of these situations where it's a brain reaction. He's not thinking in his head anything other than the fact that he is reactionary. It's like if I tossed a golf ball towards your face right now, <laughs> you'd pick it out of the air, right? That's what you do. That's what happened. And a really high hockey hockey IQ guy's are able to pull off those tiny little moves that get a reaction from their defender that is just, it's like a knee-jerk reaction, right? So to me, I just give credit where credit's due. That was a phenomenal pass to open him up there. Is it an error in the end on DeMello? Yeah, because to your point, his job is you're better off just lying across the ice to make sure that pass doesn't get there. So I do agree. It's an error there, but... I I don't think it's an egregious error. It's just good hockey playing out there. I, I would say it's not a lack of effort on DeMello's part there. Uh, Shifley's, I'm not going to say it's an outright lack of effort, but I think there was more juice to be squeezed out of that orange on that plate so I can understand why people are saying that. Uh, before we go too far, I just wanted to say, I talk all the time about Frank and the boys at Vittorio Rossi and how good they make us look. This is what happens when Frank doesn't have the run of what I wear. Look at me. I look like a slob. I probably got stains on here somewhere. I need Frank Otherwise, I look absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so if you uh, don't want to look ridiculous and you want a guy who's got the absolute Midas touch in this town when it comes to making people look good, go see Frank and the boys at Vittorio Rossi down on Cordon Avenue. Tell them Kenny and Rennie sent you. You need suits. You need ties. You need any of those things, or a, like I'll tell you this, they're casual wear. Ken, my God, could I go? If I won the lottery, that's the first place I would be heading down is to see Frank and the boys and get outfitted there because they got some hey. good stuff there.
1: Yeah, one good thing though, like look at that hat. You take that hat off and give it a little close up over Oh, here yeah, the, uh, check
0: yeah. it out. We got the uh, the TCB, we got the Trans Canada Brewing, which should probably, let's just get and dive right into it. Uh, what's your lamplighter, your Trans Canada Brewing uh, lamplighter on the night, Ken?
1: Oh, I mean, prettiest goal of the game is obviously the Dubois goal. I mean, just exceptional play all around. Mason Appleton, you know, kind of gets that. He will not get an assist on the play, but the third assist belongs to Mason Appleton, who made a really nice play to get it over to Pionk, who got it over to Morrissey, who got it over to Pierre-Luc Dubois for his seventh of the year. I mean, that goal is absolutely uh, absurd uh, in terms of the puck movement. And it kind of helped get the Jets going, didn't it? I mean, they kind of... They didn't really have a whole lot going offensively, and they really made a nice play on that one. Uh, it was really an impressive uh, play all around. Uh, and the defenseman, like, really active again, right? I mean, Josh Morrissey, we're going to get into him a little bit later, but, man, another two assists. He's just been absolutely dynamic in terms of his offensive play. But, I mean, the Dubois goal is uh, quite clearly quite clearly the lamplater of this game. And, I, I mean, again, there are some other candidates, certainly. But uh, I mean, to me, that's a pretty obvious goal in terms of the lamplighter itself. That was a, a very, very impressive goal, uh, and a great puck distribution, and ended up in the back of the net.
0: Well, I gotta say, um, uh, all all you folks out there, if you agree with Ken, just. Throw your lamplighter in there as well, but you can go any way you want. I know someone already uh, had said that they thought Trevor Lewis's goal was the lamplighter. There you go. Was the lamp there you go. Uh, Ian Bloomberg says it right there. Uh, but uh, share with us what you think your lamplighter is, and it gives you an opportunity to win an eight-pack. Get that off the screen, Ken. An eight-pack of frosty Transcanner Brewing Lamplighter Amber Ale. Absolutely nectar of the gods. Uh, and if you don't want to wait uh, for us to hand one out to you, you can always head down to Transcanner Brewing Company. And go check out their tap room at one twelve ninety Keniston. Uh, great spot, great place, great beer. They got it all going on there. And you know what? I'm going to hand out our lamplighter winner from last show: Lowry's right hand. A user who le- left uh, his comments in the in the chat show. Lowry's right hand. And so when I'm at home, I like to ring the bell, the TransCanada Brewing bell. That's another eight pack handed out right there. Good stuff. Before we go too far. Kenny I want your Johnston group uh, got you covered moment of the game
1: yeah I th- I, you got to go to Jacob Markstrom on the on uh, yeah. the gotcha yeah. covered I mean man oh man I mean <laughs> it was it was a vintage two pad stack but the strange thing yeah. is that it's actually Markstrom's it's not even the glove it's the cheater on the glove that he he kind of went with the the Patrick Waugh windmill uh, and he was able to get the cheater I think on it look his pad was there. But I think he almost got his glove in front of his pad, uh, much to the dismay of Mark Scheifele, who thought it was a clear goal. Uh, instead, uh, Markstrom just makes the great save, and it was an important save in the game, too. I mean, I would say that that, uh, to me, is the gotcha covered. And yes, Massimo De Luca, I'm uh, I'm a little sniffled up here. Uh, it was a, uh, yeah, battling through. I don't, don't have my best, but I'm going to give you uh, uh, everything we possibly have, and that that's what we're here for um, no yeah so that that's my gotcha covered for sure no um, doubt
0: no doubt excellent moment I uh, just want to give a shout out to the johnson group uh and the boys at the Johnston group the kenny and Rennie ogs they've been there since uh the start with us we really appreciate them being along for the ride great stuff um i want to talk about josh morrissey you brought him up there to assist tonight um I just thought, you know, this was another night where everything that he does was on full display. The way he's pushing the puck up the ice, the way that he's pressing guys when they try and get across that zone to another two points, leading the Jets in points. Um, Where do you see Josh Morrissey at at this stage? Ken, is he playing the best hockey of his career?
1: Well, it's right up there. I mean, we know that last year he got back to being that kind of top pairing kind of guy. Uh, And for those folks who didn't watch the end of the broadcast, I mean, Kevin Bieksa was just on and saying, you know, he wasn't, you know, quite frankly, he wasn't sure that Josh Morrissey had the, you know, potential offensive potential to become a true number one defenseman for the Winnipeg Jets after the massive turnover on the back end. And he said, quite frankly, that's changed. I mean, Josh is playing at a, you know, an exceptionally high level. Uh, that offense. We knew that he came. He was drafted as an offensive player, but then he didn't get a lot of offensive opportunities early on in his career. But now he is getting those opportunities, and he's making the absolute best of it right now. He has been a bona fide top pairing defenseman um, for the past, you know, season and change. And I, you know, I, I, you know, Sean, you're right. I mean, this is probably the very best. Uh, that he has played. But this is the thing that we know about Josh Morrissey, not just from having him on the show, but from being around him. Josh isn't just happy with being a a top pairing guy. He wants to continue to improve. He will work to continue to improve. Last year, he had career highs in most categories. And he's going to want to continue to push to become an even better player. And, And that's what I'm seeing from him. I'm seeing a guy whose edge work has just been magnificent. His ability to push the pace and to get up the ice—I mean, uh, nobody is. I mean, we've seen a lot of guys benefiting from the system that Rick Bonus installed in terms of having the defense jump up and get involved in the rush. Nobody has benefited more than Josh Morrissey. Uh, He's basically been giving the clear green light, uh, and he knows when to use it. He's not just using it recklessly. He knows when to jump, and he is jumping at the proper times. And it has allowed him to, you know, have just an exceptional start to the year, where he's leading the Jets in points. And that's not because they've got a bunch of guys struggling offensively. Josh has been the guy delivering, uh, for the most part, and doing just an exceptional job. What are you seeing from him?
0: Well, I, I'm seeing what Massimo DeLuca says here. Bowen's system is allowing for JMO to be more offensive. He's racking up the points. Like, listen, this is a team the last couple of years has been offensively challenged when it comes to the defense. It's been a problem. And I think it was to the degree that there was a lot of people that were thinking, I mean, we've seen Schmidt in the past be somewhat offensive. We saw a couple of years ago, Neil Pionk was offensive. But what we never really saw was like a whole unit, the Winnipeg Jets defense as a unit. Being dangerous offensively, and, and I'll be—I'll be, I'll be honest. I was starting to wonder if the mix of players that they had was capable of being a, offensive as a defensive unit. And uh, I'll, I'll say this: Rick Bonus. You got to give him credit. He came rolling into Winnipeg. He had a bunch of things that he wanted to take care of. He wanted to take care of culture. If you were watching the game afterwards on After Hours, it was the one of the first questions uh, that Scott Oak asked him about it. It was the culture. Jumps in, I would say, can like it's early in the season, I know, but it f- sure looks to me like the Jets culture has changed. It's gone through a little bit of an evolution. I think it's obvious for us in the room talking with the players uh, just the interaction with the media alone. I think the interaction between the players and fans I think the interactions between the players and each other I think has changed. So I think Rick Bonus walked in he wanted to do that. I think he's already done that but another one this is you you have to admire coaches who come in and say this is a problem and we're gonna fix it. And then they follow up by fixing it. Because that's what's happening right now. Rick Bonus came in and he said, we are not, you remember this, Ken, in training camp. He's like, we're not going anywhere unless we start getting more offense from our defense. So they've got the green light. That was the term. They've got the green light to jump up in the play to make that kind of stuff happen. We're seeing players like Josh Morrissey up above the hash marks. You know, above the ringette line, far more than we used to see from those players in the past. And it's it's adding to the flow. It's adding to the flow of their game. Josh Morrissey, to your point, in junior was a, an offensive defenseman. He came into the league looking like that. Paul Maurice was always really... Known for saying this about Josh Morrissey, I think it's right. Josh Morrissey was told, you need to go home and work on this because these are your weaknesses. And it was mostly defensive stuff. And he went that offseason and came back and had basically turned everything around and turned his weaknesses into his strengths in one offseason. It's like a little bit of the mythology or the lore about Josh Morrissey that uh, that Paul Maurice used to build up about him. But what I had wondered is if in the pursuit of becoming a, a, a defensive, an NHL-worthy defensive force, the way that Josh Morrissey, I believe, has been for a long time in this league, I'd wondered if he'd lost the ability to go back and be that offensive defenseman that he was when he was in junior. Well, it sure looks to me like he's found it. And it sure looks to me like Rick Bonus's system is what has allowed him to find it. Two more points here tonight. Uh, they held up a graph, which I thought was interesting. One of three defensemen in the NHL leading their team in scoring right now. That's not easy to do on a team that has Mark Shifley and, and Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's playing a really good hockey right now. And we can get into, cause we should get into him. Is not only did he score, but he was vintage. Uh, SHI you-know-what disturber here tonight. But on a team that has as many Shift, weapons, disturber.
1: Shift. Yes. shift, yes,
0: the, Kyle, the Kyle Connors of the world, and I know he's not going right now, but all the offensive weapons that the Winnipeg Jets have, and Josh Morrissey is leading the team in scoring. I would say this, Ken. Maybe it makes sense, because what Rick Bonus, another one of the things he said he was going to come in and do and that he's been trying to do is to make this a more defensive team. The numbers bear that out. They're a more defensive team. But he's wanted to add certain kinds of offense back in. And Josh Morrissey is a guy who had the defense locked down this entire time. So in the effort by Rick Bonus to not only make this a more defensive team but to free up certain kinds of offense for them, to me, to me, I think a lot of players, the Mark Shifley's of the world, the Kyle Connors, are dealing with being more defensive than they've been in the past, In the and they're trying to figure out how to make sure they cover that off while still going down and trying to put up numbers on the other end. Well, Josh Morrissey had it down. Josh Morrissey had the defensive part of his game down, so he's getting that green light aspect Probably more so than any other player or the defense, I guess, because you can throw Pionk in there and maybe even Nate Schmidt as well. But they're getting a little bit, they're getting more freedom than they've had in the past. Whereas I think a lot of the forwards under Rick Bonas' system are dealing with a little less freedom than they've had in the past. So maybe we shouldn't be surprised that Neil Pionk has had the start he's had or especially that Josh Morrissey has come out and is leading this team in scoring. It is good to see he's playing phenomenal hockey. And you got to give it to Juice with that comment. I'm not sure there's a lot of people out there who did ever see Josh Morrissey as a 1A defenseman, maybe a 1B or a number two defenseman. But boy, oh boy, he's sure looking like a number one defenseman right now.
1: Yeah, he really is. And, I mean, that's something that the Jets needed. I mean, we've been talking about it since, you know, the departure of, Dustin Bufflin and Jacob Truba right they needed someone to step into that role uh, you know some people want it to happen you know five five years ago but I mean it took some time but Josh has really started to flourish and uh, we know that he went through a tremendous uh, you know tremendously difficult thing in terms of his personal life and uh, you know he's he's this is we've talked about this a lot in the last two years Josh is enjoying the game so much you can just see uh, the rink has sort of become a refuge for him and uh, he just loves the game and he continues to work to to get better.
0: Um, hey, I just wanted to get a shout out here because Jeff Kabilis, Kib- I believe that's how you pronounce his name, was wishing you well earlier in the show. Um, and I had noticed uh, I left a comment with him on Twitter earlier on. Uh, sounds like he got some bad news about one of his animals. And uh, I've got two, five fur babies, three cats and two dogs of my own. I know they're like family. Uh, I'm sorry, Jeff, that you're going through that. Uh, that's a tough one. I'm sorry. But um, let's uh, let's move on here. Do you want to give a shout out to our guy, Lou?
1: Yeah, you bet. Uh, for all of your real estate needs, if you're buying, you're selling, you're looking to rent uh, any of those things, uh, Lou Ferlin is your guy. Uh, you can reach him. Uh, you know, you, you got all the numbers here the office number, 204 989 5000, or his personal line, 204 791 9971. Uh, Lou has been kind enough to be my realtor Uh, over the years he's found me two incredible properties that we have been incredibly blessed to have and uh, he's just an outstanding human being with great ties to the sporting community and uh, we're happy to have him uh, on board and to have his support uh, as we move forward here.
0: Ken was about to lock himself in the poorhouse, and Lou put him in the penthouse. That's the kind of action that uh, Lou would take care of there. That's so, true. Uh, he's the guy. Hey, give me your… Uh,
1: Building license. equity. Building exactly. equity.
0: Exactly. Exactly. There you go. Good life choices. This is one of Ken. Hey, That's one of Ken's favorite sayings. <laughs> when we get out and about, he always says good life choices while dealing with Lou Furlan was a good life choice for you. Uh, since we're talking defense, give me an idea, because I know you texted to me earlier on how much you're loving the Schmidt-Dillon parent why are you so high on those two guys, Ken?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're just kind of reading off each other, you know, incredibly well. I mean, these are two guys who are great friends. They enjoyed their time together as a pairing, even though it was very brief uh, last season. You know, when they played together, they had quite a bit of you know success at five on five uh, at a time where the Jets defense core wasn't always at its best. Um, you know, despite Josh Morrissey really kind of getting back to his game. But uh, I really like the uh, the combination there. The aggression in Schmidt's game has been uh, one of those things where you know, again, I was fortunate enough to be in the Edmonton bubble for that first round and change. Uh, and Nate Schmidt is back to the Vegas version of Nate Schmidt. I mean, yes, he had a tough year with the Vancouver Canucks. He didn't have his best year with the Jets last year. We know that. Uh, he's back to getting his feet moving. he's getting up ice, He's getting his shot through. Uh, and he just—they uh, really read off each other well. Uh, Brendan Dillon does a great job. I know I know you love this, and I want you to dig in a little bit more. But Brendan Dillon is the guy. Who, you know he's—you know—he's very aggressive when it comes to his pinching. He's got kind of a nose to be able to sniff out plays. Uh, he brings that physical nature. I mean, uh, it's something where uh, those two really kind of feed off each other, and they really kind of embrace and embody what a team is looking for when you come to a shutdown pairing. Now, again, that doesn't mean you always have to play against the top line, but if you're playing against somebody in the top six, that's a big challenge. But those guys enjoy the challenge, uh, and I, I think that uh, you know we're seeing both of them uh, play at a pretty high level, and I think that they can continue to uh, both improve and read off each other as they continue to spend time uh, together on a pairing
0: well I'll talk uh, quickly about Dylan um, man oh man he I think is just doing a, such a such a good job now it did it, it cost them in a breakaway tonight right that constant pinching at the blue side and I shouldn't call it pinching standing up on their own blue line those zone entry denials this team right now is and this kind of goes back to what I was talking about on the, the top of the show people were calling it an u- ugly game and I guess I don't look at it that way because when, when when you're playing in a game like that, when you're on the ice playing in a game like that and you're constantly getting stood up at the other team's blue line, it ends up in that kind of stuff where the puck gets chipped off your stick. It gets in your skates. You're kicking at it. There's no flow. Other guys are whacking at the at the puck. It's going, turning up the, the other way, going the other way. The other team takes it, and then it gets turned over again. So, yes, if you're watching that game, and if you're into it for, you know, like the flow and all that kind of stuff, hey, go watch that Canadians-Penguins game earlier on tonight because that had that in spades. Those teams were moving. But this was this was a muck fest, right? And the Jets turned things into a muck fest. They did it the other night against the Dallas Stars. This is how you have success. You frustrate the other team. You, you turn over pucks. You try and get them cheating. Um, Calgary didn't do that tonight. Like I said, it was a battle of attrition. But the Jets do such a good job this year. I find when they're playing bone system of standing the other team up at the blue line, and Dylan is one of the best at it. And the way that he's engaging and jumping up, uh, boy oh boy, he's he he I think is just absolutely doing doing a great job. And Schmidt, I feel like is a guy who's is. He's going to break out. I think he's going to start getting more points than what we're seeing from him because I think he just does a really good job of getting that puck to the net so far this year. And I think the Jets are doing – here's here's an interesting one, Ken. Like for how long did we talk last year as soon as Dave Lowry took over the team and before that, the the kind of negotiating by the Jets coaches to try and get their players to go to the net and they just couldn't do it. Well, holy smokes, it's happening Nonstop now, right? Like the Jets are getting to the front of the net. Nate Schmidt is getting that puck to the front of the net. I feel like I'm marking it down. Let's I know there's not as many people watching because it's late at night, but mark it down. I feel like we're gonna see Schmidt's gonna get the payoff from that coming down. You're gonna start seeing a lot more points roll in for him, maybe a few goals, you know, some tipped-in shots, that kind of stuff. I feel like that's coming. So I've got all the time in the world. Uh, to uh, to for your idea that that pairing is doing really really well. Um, here I'm going to go to our home field dig deeper comment of the day, and I'm going to go to Paul Robert who says love how Dubois just keeps making friends in every city. Gotta love his compete level. He pulled out something uh, Paul Robert did here that I am entirely behind. You and I quite often, when we're not together, we text back and forth as the game was going on. And Pierre-Luc Dubois, not because he scored, but just because of the way he plays always ends up being a topic of conversation with us back and forth. And I said, I just love how he turns every game into a war. One thing I really loved, Ken, is when he went in and drew that penalty and he got bumped by the D-man into Markstrom and then went crashing down in the back of the net. He's got big Z, Zadorov on his back, a big, tough guy, and he could care less about him. He's trying to get at the goaltender, right? And I love that move because I honestly don't think he's that mad at the goaltender But I think the any time a goaltender opens a door that you can go after them and try and abuse them, as a player, you should kick that door in and go after the goaltender right now. And it's funny because the door up at one point drops the glove and is just trying to get Dubois' attention. But Dubois' attention is right where it should be. Right on the goaltender, because the goaltender gave him the opportunity to try and get in his kitchen, and you always want to do that. I just think it's a guy, I always talk about these cerebral hockey plays, and that was that on, on the Jets' second goal of the game. Pierre-Luc Dubois is a cerebral pest. It's psychological warfare that he engages in. It's not just walking up and smacking a guy in the mouth. He's irritating the hell out of guys, and that was just a perfect example of that. And Paul Robert pointed it out, uh, and that, of course, is why Paul Robert is getting uh, is getting credit for our uh, dig deeper uh, home field. Uh, comment to the game. And of course, if you're a business and you want to stand out, Homefield can help you do it. Check them out. Ken, uh, what, sorry, do you have their website there, Yeah, Ken?
1: myhomefield.ca.
0: There we go. And before we shut this down too, we should give a shout out to our friends at Cambrian and Credit Union. They've just launched a new website uh, and a new banking experience. Go check it out. Uh, if you are members, like Ken and I both are, uh, there's plenty of reasons to bank there. One of them, of course, being their unfee account. You can save $222 per year by having one of these accounts. To simply set up a recurring direct deposit every month to your Cambrian checking or savings account, and you qualify. No minimum balance required. Go check out these websites, uh, they do a really good job. And if you were checking it out on the last show, uh, you had a chance to win Jets tickets given away by Cambria. Not only are they constantly doing stuff in the community, they are throwing some bones in the Kenny and Rennie chat room as well. That was absolutely great. Um,
1: Hey, Lion we, Juggling. We've got we, to talk about Lion Juggling. Hang on. Are we, we doing, doing those moose tickets or not Not today? I don't think we're doing it today. Okay, we're right not on. doing it today. Uh, one um, quick one before we shift gears. Speaking of people that make friends, uh, we encouraged the – folks in the chat room to talk about loss Uh, I was at a funeral today for one of the guys who was known for making friends all over the city Zach Hirschman Uh, it was at the convention center and it was a very emotional day for a lot of folks but uh, um, lost way too soon but uh, one of the one of the great human beings around and uh, it was great to see a lot of people and uh, you know to, we're thinking about Zach's family at this time and all of his friends, and uh, I'm glad I was able to have time to, to get there this afternoon.
0: Uh, and I got to say, Ken, I know you're, you got the sniffles, but I know uh, from talking behind the scenes here that that's an emotionally draining situation for you. So thanks for powering through this. Uh, we're going to get to this show. Um, I, I like it that people could talk about this kind of stuff. I like that Jeff uh, talked about that earlier on uh, and uh, healthy. It's healthy to talk about that stuff. Get it out. Feel free to do it on our show. Anytime you want Kenny and Rennie, a chat room, we appreciate it. Um, uh, let's get oh, to
1: the line. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. You got I have one I more say? thing on Dubois before we shift gears there. Uh, uh, and Yes, I do agree with the psychological warfare. It is post game. Uh, address with reporters in Calgary that I was able to get the audio from uh, from our from our guys that are on site Scott Billick and uh, Mike McIntyre uh, on the play with Markstrom this was his comment I thought he took his leg out and tripped me that's a dangerous play I think it's a dirty play you saw what happened with Drake Batherson and Aaron Dell you talk about goalie safety in this league and I'm all for that I'm 100% on board with that but I wasn't going towards him I get pushed and I think it was by Rasmus Anderson, but I wasn't going towards him. I thought his leg came out. I mean, I've got to look at the replay. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it didn't. If it didn't, I'll take back what I said, but I thought it was a very dangerous and very dirty play. And Sean, I mean, I did also think it was subtle, but there is no doubt in my mind that Markstrom stuck his leg out. And again, did not Dubois need to shoot the puck into the corner after he went offside on the power play? No, he didn't. I think it was a strategic move to get into the head of the goaltender. Yeah. But I'm yeah. also not on board with Markstrom sticking his leg out, especially in that scenario when he gets bumped. Because if that happens, you know, around the goal line, you know, again, he's far enough away that he's not going to go head first into the boards, but that's a dangerous play. And I, I, I'm also for goalie protection, but there are times when you get involved, sometimes things are going to happen. And I think that was sort of what Dubois was getting at. So he was like, you know, if you want to stick your leg out, I might want to stick my elbow out or my fist out or whatever else. And again, uh, that's neither here nor there. But, uh, you know, it was it was an interesting um, sequence of events, let's say.
0: Well, I'll say this, like, I I know what you're saying about the the legs sticking out, but Pierre-Luc Dubois got exactly what he was looking for in that situation. Pierre-Luc Dubois is skating in, shoots the puck into the corner, and right, it's not like he's shooting it on the goaltender, but he's he's doing a flyby past the goaltender, right? That could have
1: been unsportsmanlike conduct, could it not? If you shoot the puck that late after the whistle...
0: Well, no. but it, it, into the corner. I think if you're throwing it into the corner, I don't think it is. But this is why I'm saying I think he's brilliant. why shoot That'd there. Be a psychological path. He took five strides. He took five strides, and he's heading right past the goalie crease. Like, yeah, there's no reason for him to keep going. But I know what you're saying. You're saying it's a dangerous play by Markstrom. But this is this. Pierre Luc Dubois went fishing, and he threw the lure out. And they took the bait and they got a penalty out of it. Like yep. Pierre-Luc Dubois got exactly what he wanted out of that play. He and acting like he's mad and indignant by the whole situation just helps sell it to the ref. But like as a defenseman, if a guy's doing a fly by past your goalie, I'm not surprised that he went and gave him a bump. That's, that's what you would do in that situation. And Pierre-Luc Dubois knows that. It's the reason he's doing it. And then he's positioning himself so that if the defenseman does give him a bump, well, he's going to bump him towards the goaltender. Well, now he's got an excuse to do a real tight by past the goaltender. And now because the goaltender feels like his space is being invaded upon, he sticks the knee out to, to kind of give him a little bit of, you know, a little bit back and then boom suddenly he's in behind the net and now it's on right now the goaltender is taking a shot at you and like i said Zadorov is trying to break it up and and PLD is just enraged at the goaltender and really i think it's this is all this is a symphony it is a symphony that Pierre-Luc Dubois is conducting and everyone on the ice has just <laughs> fallen for it and it's delicious and it's great and it's high iq uh past work i i i've got all the time in the world for it he turns games into a war and if you're a fan and you're watching it tonight on a game where rightfully as it was called out by some people in the chat room earlier on it's not the prettiest game of hockey it was a a battle of attrition like I said but a battle's a battle and when battles turn a a little bit ugly like Pierre Dubois likes to make them they get to be a lot more fun I thought it was just great I thought he was top of his game when it came to that never mind him scoring
1: Um, great theater for sure and I also it was interesting he (laughs) he also seemed quite frustrated with the the double call with Blake Coleman the first time when they both were given penalties where he got called for holding. And then Coleman went for the old, uh, you know, Cobra Kai sweep the leg uh, when he tripped him on the way down. So uh, he was definitely not impressed with that call either. But uh, this I, I, is lo- interesting. I, I texted you. I love the engagement. I love the yeah. engagement on a night where not a lot of the Jets top six forwards were really going. Uh, I thought Dubois was trying to kind of drag some people into, into the it. fight. Yeah. The, and then we'll transition into the rest of it now. But I mean, I just didn't think the Jets top six. Uh, we we have applauded many of their excellent efforts. The Jets top six, quite frankly, was not good enough tonight. There's There's no doubt about that. Well, that's the perfect
0: segue into our next situation here. But just before we do, I just wanted to say it's good to see General Imlarath, who uh, has spent some time on our show despite being, I I believe, living in Calgary uh, and being a Calgary Flames fan. This is an interesting one. He says, it's Markstrom who's trying to get into the other players' heads. Uh, If if so, then we got to see two players kind of going at each other with like the chess battle of frustration. Uh, And you know what? You give credit to Markstrom. I know he hasn't had the best year so far. But he had he was probably the best player on the ice tonight, if I had to pick one. Uh, the, he's probably the guy, and this is one of the things that he did, was to kind of get things going and a little bit heated. I didn't think the Calgary Flames were going to survive that five-on-three, but they did. I thought it was crazy. I remember saying to you, what the heck are they doing right now? It looked to me like they were trying to give the game away, and... You know what, Ken, let's be honest. They probably were like, I don't think that that was planned. I think that they were kind of unraveling. This is a team that hasn't been able to hold leads and they've been blowing leads. And if you want to see why, well, I think it's these little plays like this where they end up taking these unnecessary penalties and putting their backs against the wall. They got away with it tonight. I don't think they've been getting away with it lately. Um, But you got, you made the comment about the top six not being where you wanted them tonight. There was a lot of line juggling happening. tonight. Now, This is going to be a chicken and the egg argument. I'm going to tell you my take on it before we do this. At the start of that game, I know the Jets started a little bit slow. I didn't think it was necessarily a slow start as much as it was that Calgary just really came out, came off that road trip there at home. So they had a a whole bunch of energy. I thought the Jets survived it and then had a really, really strong pushback. There was a point there in that first period where I was just looking at the way that the Appleton, Shifley and Connor line was playing. And I just thought to myself, like, these guys are just on their game. So I thought they looked great. Now, after Lowry got hurt for a little bit there and went off the bench, and we started seeing them cycling uh, um, uh, centermen through the lines, the way that they were doing that, the lines started juggling. But it didn't end there. Lowry came back, and then things started to get really, really juggled to a point that I think it was Kyle Connor from the first line was on, with Pierre-Luc Dubois, who is the centering, here's your second-line guy, and uh, Janssen Fialbi was on with them, and they had a heck of a shift that I thought looked good. But in the end, I think that Rick bonus an attempt to get things going, which I thought, at least with that first line, were already kind of going. I thought that he went to the line blender, and I thought it hurt them tonight. I thought it kind of discombobulated everybody. I thought that at the beginning of the game, that Shifley line was going, and then I feel like Shifley got a little bit lost when the lines started getting juggled. I thought So I'm a big believer that he started juggling the lines, and that's what took them all out of their rhythm what's your take on it?
1: Yeah, for me, Sean, uh, I just thought they were looking for life and I, I didn't see, I didn't think that Blake had his legs today, Blake Wheeler. Um, we, you know, he's been playing very well lately. Again, I don't think it's necessarily effort with Blake. It, it almost never is. He's always trying to go, but, uh, and I don't think that he had his legs, and they weren't really, didn't really have their hands going. There were, you know, some guys didn't have their legs, Sean. Others didn't have their hands, and some mm-hmm. of them didn't have either. And when that happens, it's hard on the top six. I mean, uh, it's hard on any player when you're not feeling your best. But uh, for me, I didn't like Blake's game. I didn't, you know, Kyle Connor had a few chances. I didn't like his shot oh. selection that led to the shorthanded goal. Um, I mean, easily blocked and. And then too, speaking of cerebral plays, I mean, Kelly Rudy thought, I mean, I'm not, you know, again, Kelly's around Michael Backlund a lot more than you and I are. He thought that he was trying to flip it up to himself. It was a bit of a, a play that fooled the opposition because Kyle Connor probably thought the flip was going all the way down the ice. And then the next thing he knew, he had to try to catch up on the three on two rush and he wasn't able to catch Backlund before he gets it over to Trevor Lewis. Right. So uh, that was interesting. You know, I didn't. I want to assess. I want to get into something. I know some people are uh, down on Cole Perfetti. It's funny. So, was it a selfish penalty by Cole Perfetti to cross check Brett Ritchie? Yes, it was. But number two, I'm actually totally okay with him taking that penalty because I I am because Sean. You know, I, I would prefer that he took a cross checking penalty that he gave somebody a shot a little bit up high when they're running him. But Brett Ritchie also ran him in the first period. And I think that that was a dangerous hit by Brett Ritchie because he sticks his leg out. Perfetti's trying to get out of the way. I don't like that hit at all. Brett Ritchie plays hard. I got no problem with that. His job is to play hard on the fourth line. He sticks his left leg out a little bit and catches Perfetti knee-on-knee. So then the next time when he runs him into the end boards, I'm actually okay with the retaliation. Again, you would always prefer the player initiate than to retaliate. And, yeah, some people will say, oh, well, you know, if that was somebody else, you'd be ripping them for taking the penalty. And, you know, that could be true. But for a guy who's been hit too often in the first 13 games of the year, I'm okay with Perfetti sticking up for himself. Is it a good time to do down by a goal at that situation? No. So, sure, the grin says Perfetti needs to pick his spots better. Well, when do you want him to do it? I mean... On the first one, he didn't have an opportunity to retaliate because he was trying to get out of the way. Um, I'm okay with them showing a little bit of front. That's one, Sean, we've all been on those teams. That's one where you're like, Cole, we've got you. We're going to kill this off. Is it a selfish penalty? Still, yes, it was. But actually, you're you're hoping that by cross-checking back, maybe the next person isn't going to run you. And I also think, you know, Sean, we've talked about, you know, we talk about flops a few times in the first 13 games. Brett Ritchie's a pretty big guy. And yes, Cole Perfetti was able to... He did cross-check him. But come on now. I mean, Brett Ritchie's a lot bigger guy than Cole Perfetti. I think that he sold it a little bit. And, and that's oh, what yeah. you're supposed to do. You're supposed to sell it in that situation. I'm just saying, I don't think it's an egregious penalty by Cole Perfetti. Does he need to pick his spots better? Sure. Uh, but you know, part of me is okay with it because, uh, at some point you got to stick up for yourself. And you know, that's one example of a way that you're going to be able to do that. Now, like I said, I don't like the timing of it necessarily in a one goal game when you're down as a member of the Winnipeg Jets, but I can understand where, where things were at with him on that one. And sorry, in terms of the juggling, I'm not sure I chicken and egg. I mean, uh. You know, Rick Bonus isn't he? He doesn't want to change the lines with regularity. He said that to us. But at the same time, I think it was pretty clear, Sean, that the offense wasn't happening today. Uh, one thing I'm very curious about, and I'm curious for your thoughts. I do like Luke Pierre, luc Dubois, and Kyle Connor getting a chance to get going together because they need to get Kyle Connor going. What about right. putting Ferretti back with them? Because Perfetti played on that line for quite a bit last year on his off wing. Sorry, a lot would be different because Cole didn't even play 20 games last year. But he played, he spent a, quite a bit of time when he was in the lineup with those guys. And, you know, maybe that playmaking ability could help him. Um, but yeah, I mean, then you have Wheeler, Scheifele, and Appleton. Now, Appleton has played some left wing before. Uh, is that an optimal, you know, u- usage of the lines? I'm not sure. I'm not saying that it is. I'm just curious if that might be something that they might consider. Uh, that's a yeah. Rush. Okay, so
0: there's so many different directions I want to go in here, but let's start with what you just asked about uh, putting Perfetti, Connor, and Dubois back together. I mean, I love the idea of it, and it's you know this is going to allow us to kill two birds with one stone because uh, and Manitoba Ball Hockey says you guys haven't been, talked about Connor yet. It needs to be addressed. I couldn't agree more. Like Kyle Connor at this stage, it's and it's funny. I we go right back to that first game, and I talked about Bones uh, throwing throwing Kyle Connor on the ice, and that's Situation to get the empty net or is one of two goals he has this year. Like I thought, it was important to do that to try and get your guy going. Now he gets the goal; it didn't get him started the way that we thought here. But at this stage, uh, you know, Kyle Connor had, had another nice opportunity here tonight. It was a great save by Markstrom. Uh, yeah. But but what I see when I see a guy like that who is constantly, um, you know, he's a sniper. And he's constantly getting opportunities. He's constantly getting robbed, right? Like he is. Is a guy who's just not at the level he was at last year. Because what happens with snipers like him, the way he was operating last year, with Austin Matthews, and you can see Austin Matthews is waking up. Go take a look at the goal he got tonight. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Those guys just end up putting the puck in a spot that the goalies just can't get to it, right? The goalie's just not making the save because they're hitting their spot. Kyle Connor's not hitting his spot right now. That's what it is. Uh, it, it's affected him. He doesn't seem to be setting up and taking that one timer on the power play the way that he used to. Now maybe there's an argument to be made that teams are taking that away, but if I were Kyle Connor, I'd like to see him, or if I'm, Rick bonus. I'd like to see Kyle Connor getting a little greedier, trying to get that one timer off. Right. So uh, just to quickly address him. And I'd like you to pick up on Connor when I'm done, but I got to go back and do your thing. I love the idea of Connor Dubois and Perfetti. I like that. I like the idea of seeing Connor and Dubois on the ice there. And I thought that it worked out well. And then I felt like I didn't really see it again after that. So to me, I didn't understand the line juggling tonight. It was kind of like they were just spinning the wheel and sending whoever on the, on out, out, at at any point in the game now what I do like about that is I think it gives everyone on the team including guys like Saku Menelainen and, and Axel Janssen-Fialbi and then you go up the lineup to the Pierre-Luc Dubois and the Kyle Connors just the feeling that they've got confidence in everybody I like that I like that they're instilling that and I think you're seeing guys like Saku Menelainen quickly becoming I know he looked good in camp Ken but he's looking better than he looked in camp. And Axel Jansen fialbi is a guy who really couldn't find a way to stick in the NHL. He was, I mean, he's on the Jets because he got sent down to, or the, the Washington Capitals tried to send him down to their farm team. This did not look like an AHL player to me tonight. He was all over the place. So I love the idea that it's instilling that confidence. But it just bounced around too much. I want to see, like you're saying, Perfetti and Dubois and Connor. I want to see them get together and have a couple shifts to try and rekindle what they've done before. Because right now, bouncing Connor around, you know, he was at the end of the game, he was out on the ice with uh, Scheifele and a number of guys. And then he was out later on with another, uh, with with, uh, Pierre Dubois again. And it just seems like he's lining up against, or tonight, it seems like he's lining up with someone new at all times. And it feels like they're just spinning the wheel and trying to say, does this work for you? Does this work for you? Does this work for you? Well, if you don't feel he's getting what you need uh, him to get on the line he's on right now, strategically find the line that you think fits him best and give him some time with that line. I think that needs to be done. And then I just want to back up quickly to the Perfetti thing that you're talking about. I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with you more, Ken, on that situation with Perfetti. And there's a couple of reasons why. One, that Perfetti cross-check is not carving out any space. That was pure frustration. That was him getting up, taking a dumb penalty in that moment and 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 cross-checking that player. It didn't hurt that player. It's the same deals I was talking about, Pierre luc Dubois. That player got exactly what he was looking for from Cole Perfetti. Baited, he took the bait, he's off the ice. That's just a young player frustrated about getting a run. But the biggest problem is he's being asked to take care of his business. Cole Perfetti is a a young player, B, not the biggest player. And see, he's he's a highly skilled guy. For all three of those reasons, it's the trifecta. It's the perfect storm of reasons why someone like Brendan Dillon or Adam Lowry or Pierre Luc Dubois or even Mark Scheifele should be stepping in and doing something about this situation. The hit earlier in the game, like you'd said, he'd already taken the knee. You could tell he didn't like it. It bothered him. He was looking for protection from the ref. The ref didn't give it to him. So then the next place you look for protection is from your teammates, and it didn't come. And so when he gets run again the next time, By the way, that hit that he responds to with the cross-check, I have no problem with that hit. I think it's a great hit. The only problem I have with that hit is that there wasn't a response from the rest of the team. And so now you leave a young, frustrated player feeling like he needs to carve out his space. And that I'm telling you, Ken, that cross-check doesn't do it. No one is saying, I better stay away from that guy because he just gave me a little... Punched to the back with his stick and took a penalty. That gives me more reason to go after him the next time. If I'm coaches with Seattle, I'm saying, get on this player. Look what happens when you get him frustrated. The Jets need to step in and look after this player. He's talented. He's he's slick. He's skilled. He's not going to be the kind of player. You, do, you don't want Nick Suzuki or Cole Caulfield having to take care of themselves and carve out their own space. Well, Perfetti is the Jets' version of that. Someone needs to be doing that work for him. So I, I, I disagree with you because, A, the Jets should be taking care of that business, and, B, what Cole Perfetti did does nothing to carve out space for himself.
1: Yeah, I mean, so in a perfect world, I'm with you. I mean, after the first knee on knee, then someone should have gone after Brett Ritchie. But here's the problem. Brett Ritchie is a bit player for the Calgary Flames. I sorry. I couldn't agree with this more. Turn
0: Ferguson's comments saying the cross check was more of a message to the Jets. Rennie than the flames i agree i think that's a young player saying geez and doing it now it's it's costing his team but i agree with this this is a guy saying like what do i have to do this myself is that what is that what this has come to i couldn't agree with this comment more
1: sorry go on no it's okay i don't really have much else uh, to dig in on that i mean okay I, was there some frustration of course but uh one quick one here from daryl uh, Grinco: ehlers skating yet well daryl the update from rick bonus before the team left was that Nikolai Ehlers is not on the road trip. He was not planning to skate uh, in Winnipeg on the weekend. Uh, the plan is for Nikolai Ehlers to skate on Tuesday or Wednesday. That was the update that was provided um, You know, by Rick Bonas. We reported it on Twitter. It was in my story on Cole Perfetti on the weekend on Friday. Uh, so the Jets said they were being cautious. Uh, Rick Bonus went out of his way to say that uh, it was a not a setback. He said it, I think, five times in that small span of time. Um, again, this has taken a long time. It's the 11th game he's missed. And yeah. uh, we didn't talk really much about the power play. But, I mean, today was a great example of the Jets missing Nikolai Ehlers. I mean, the zone entries were not crisp. They didn't get set up. They were not dangerous. They were far too cute. And once Nikolai Ehlers is back, then you have an opportunity to try some things in the top six that maybe you're not sure you can do right now right I mean that's the thing Sean I mean once that happens then maybe you see Mason Appleton go back onto the third line or whatever else and again I don't I don't think that uh, Appleton played poorly I thought he actually played quite a few shifts with Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois in the third period and I thought that Mason Appleton had a really good chance on the backhand but the problem was the puck kind of rolled on him so um yeah I mean it'll be interesting to see where things go from there but uh uh, one quick one I mean you wanted to jump in I mean we had a you know we had a debate about it on the old Twitter machine uh, on the sorry on uh, by text here why don't you give your thoughts on the uh, Mackenzie Weger uh, penalty on Kyle Connor when he was in- oh I
0: just I, so it's uh, juice on the program said that he didn't think it was a call and I think even Ron said that he thought it was a weak call I I was blown away that it was a call I mean what he doesn't get the stick on the hands. He he takes a swing at the uh, at the at the puck. He misses the puck. Like uh, and and I do agree. If anyone saw the debate, Elliot Friedman was saying, "Well, if you're going to call a penalty, it should be a penalty shot, right?" I agree with that there in that situation. I just thought there was so many plays towards the end of the game. Now Kyle Connor gets tied up with uh, Nazem Kadri at the end of the game and absolutely garage sales him because he gets his. Stick around him and hooked against the net. Well, I know he didn't mean to get his stick hooked on the net, but there is no doubt about it that Nazim Qadri ends up on the ground because he's tripped by Kyle Connor. Uh, and, and the refs let that go, and now Jets fans, I can hear you. You're being, oh, there's Rennie siding s- signing with the other team. This is why it's a problem, because later on, with about two minutes left in the game, Mason Appleton is tripped along the boards in what should have been a penalty, and the Jets should have had a late penalty in the game, but because the refs had basically lost the plot throughout the game, they couldn't call that at that time because they can't let the Nazem Kadri uh, the Kyle Connor penalty on Nazem Kadri go, and then turn around and call that on Appleton. So the Jets lost a late game opportunity because the refs were were essentially stopped doing their jobs at some point. And I feel like they stopped doing their jobs because they went so overboard on on the Kyle Connor breakaway. Now you and I have a difference. You think like, uh, hey, it's it's one of the highest scoring players in the league last year. Like goal scores. These guys just don't lose the handle. I mean. Mackenzie Weiger, I take a look at that. If that is considered like this, we're getting into the territory that people are complaining about in the NFL, the roughing the passer calls, where it's like, what do you want a guy to do? Like you, you gotta you gotta get a quarterback to the ground. You need to pick him up, grab a pillow from the sidelines, put it down, and gently lay him down in order to take the quarterback down nowadays. That's play on Kyle Connor reeked of that to me. That was no penalty. Like, you might as well tell a guy just to stop chasing the guy and let the play go through if you're going to call a penalty on that. There was nowhere near enough contact that that should have been a penalty. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't like complaining about the rest. I'm just going in that direction because uh, you brought it up. Did you have thoughts that you wanted to share before we go?
1: Yeah, I mean, my counter to you was the same. Uh, I mean, Kyle Connor blew by Mackenzie Wieger, and he was caught flat-footed. And again, I'm with you. Was it was it egregious? No, I, I don't think it was obvious that it should have been called. I just think it's a lot easier to see in super slow-mo than it was in real time. And I'm still not 100% sure. And again, I'm not saying this would make it a penalty, because it's always up for debate. But I do think that his stick actually gets into Kyle Connor's hands at the very end of it. Um, but by then, I think the puck was kind of already rolling off his stick, so... Uh, It just, it wasn't a great, like, Weger kind of puts his arm on him. I don't think it meant that he twisted him. But uh, I do think that he impeded the breakaway opportunity. But at the same time, I don't think it was obvious. But I also don't think it was as egregious as you do. But again, this is, this is. Oh, I just think
0: there, yeah. Well, there was a play in that game too, where Shifley chips the puck behind the defenseman. And the defenseman just basically takes him right out of the play. It's, it's an interference call. Like, the, the, this was established a couple of years ago. It, just, it seemed like, I'm going to tell you this, Ken, I think this, is, I think this is evidence on my side that that was a bad call because I think the refs made that call. I think they took a look at it during the intermission and thought, okay, guys, we need to take it, scale it back here. And then they scaled right back and just stopped calling anything. Right, I think I think what we saw for the rest of the game that I do believe in the end negated opportunities for the Winnipeg Jets—one on that Scheifele call and the other one on the late Mason Appleton call. It, the, them, you know, basically taking their chips away from the table and what, or you know, taking their ball and going home with it, basically put it in a situation where. A team that needs to grind the team down or grind the game down in the third period was able to do so because the refs essentially stopped calling the game. That's what I thought. Anyway, um, before we do go, uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to our sponsors. Uh, who we're just so happy they're with us. Uh, we've said this once, we'll say it a thousand times. If you appreciate these conversations happening in these spaces, please appreciate our sponsors who make that happen. Of course, Vittorio Rossi, TransCanada Brewing, The Johnson Group, Lou Ferlin Homefield, and Cambrian Credit Union uh and once again i know it's late we really appreciate everyone being with us here almost 1 30 in the morning means a ton to us uh i know it wasn't asked for but i'm gonna end the show with some tristan rivers music because it was asked for a number of times and i kept forgetting it uh when i was at the arena so i'm throwing on a headband and i'm ending the show with some Uh, Tristan Rivers rock and roll here, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow night after the game. It's going to be another late one. We appreciate you being with us. Here's Sean's headband.